Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. All right, welcome back. Uh, Today we're going to be getting into a couple of things, and I'd like to also acknowledge that we are filming uh, today's podcast, and it's going to be on our YouTube channel as well. Go over and check it out on Iraq Veteran 8888 if you'd like to see a video version. Uh, and if you are tuning in here on YouTube, be sure to follow us over on Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. Uh, we post our podcasts every week, and uh, they're about an hour long, and we try to dive into a lot of cool subjects. Um, so yeah, let's get into today's subjects, and All we're right. going to really, and look, this one's going to ruffle some feathers. Just a little bit, probably. Yeah. yeah. So what's today's subject, Matt? Is Trump really 2A? That, that it's, question it's gets a very, around. very okay. fair question. That's a very good question. Okay, so so the giant issue, the, the, the thing that people are is burning their ears right now is people are asking, you know, well, is Trump really a pro-2A president? You know, what's his track record like? You know, what is his end game when it comes to uh, the two A world, and we're going to try to break into this a little bit and and try to analyze it as best we can. Um, there's a lot of things to look at from a lot of different uh, areas and situations. And uh, when you think about you know not only where the two A world is today, uh, but you think about things such as red flag laws. You look at uh, let's go back to Bush's presidency and look at something right. like the Patriot Act. You know, a lot of people think that the Patriot Act really paved the way for things such as red flag laws, which you see the NRA has obviously been like, you know, really on top of wanting to support and push through red flag uh, gun confiscation orders at a federal level, and they've been pressuring Trump to do it. Uh, you know, and it's it's a really scary situation when you look at this kind of thought police aspect of what red flag laws can do. Uh, we've already done a couple of videos over on gun gripes on Iraq Veteran eighty eight eighty eight related to red flag laws, so you know where we stand on that. And if you don't check it out, I mean, obviously we don't agree with them, uh, but red flag laws are a pretty scary thing. And Trump has sort of thrown around the the football, so to speak, of supporting uh, federal level red flag confiscation orders, which are very scary. Uh, Americans have been killed. Uh, in the carrying out of these red flag confiscation orders in states where they have it at a state level as a state law. Uh, I know Maryland's one state, and uh, one gentleman was killed over that, and yep. it's a very scary situation. And that was the uh, the elderly gentleman. Mm-hmm. that They came knocking on his door at like 2 a.m. in the morning, I believe, and uh, he had a surprise for him, and they they had a surprise for him. So, and Red flag laws in and of themselves are um, unconstitutional, and I wholeheartedly agree they are um, they're heinous, and they shouldn't uh, even be on the docket. They shouldn't even be considered. It is not the responsibility of uh, the local government to determine uh, who should and shouldn't have firearms. Um, it's just not. It's not up to them. It's people will people will get hurt. And in this instance, somebody was killed um, over hearsay. Somebody of somebody's family member or somebody's uh, friend saying, "Oh, this person has guns," and there was no due process, none of that. And if there was due process, they would have found out that it was unwarranted. Okay, so getting back to Trump, you know, one of one of the the statements that keeps getting thrown around when it comes to Trump is the statement that is along the lines of. Take the guns first, due process later, right? Yeah. Trump was on record for saying that. And this was obviously back when the NRA was really, really pressuring Trump over red flag laws. And I'd like to just kind of touch on that for a minute, is that during, um, you know, Trump's first election cycle, you know, the first, uh, his first term. Right. Uh, you know, he got an A-plus rating from the NRA, and he spoke at the NRA uh, annual meeting, and it was this big deal, and they, uh, you know, sort of... I guess, um, you know, approved of him being endorsed elected. him. Yeah. yeah, they endorsed him. I guess yeah. what I'm really trying to say. So they endorsed Trump. And then, um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, all this talk of red flag laws. And then obviously Vegas happened. 
And when in that particular situation, you know, they claimed the bump stock was used and all this stuff. And then Trump, you know, through the grapevine, ended up going after bump stocks. Uh, this is well documented. And, of course, we, we see the results of it because now bump stocks are banned. And, and it's through executive fiat. Okay, so we look at executive order uh, versus, let's just say, um, there's a lot of things that go into that, right? And executive orders are a scary thing. And the issue is that when Trump says, all right, well, we're banning bump stocks. See, the ATF is actually not, they're part of the executive branch. Okay, they're not, they don't make laws. All right, they interpret laws, they enforce laws. So it's a really scary thing when the ATF can come to the table and go, well, you know, the president told us that he don't like that, so now we don't like that, and this is what we're going to do. And that's a really scary thing. You know, it goes against the uh, it goes against the nature and the spirit of how we pass laws in this country and how laws are passed and enforced. We have checks and balances, and we have separation of power for that reason. Right. Right. There's a process that laws have to go through in order to be passed into law, you know, and ratified as a you know, part of law or whatever, or, you know, brought into law. So the issue becomes with that is that now you set a very, very distinct and horrible precedence in place because now a future president could come along that hates guns and say, oh, well, wait a minute, we get this executive fiat ability here, this executive order. So wait a minute, I can just sign an executive order saying that an AR-15 trigger that is too light, uh, that it's a machine gun, or that, oh, your finger, just because you can shoot it semi-automatic really fast, makes it a machine gun. So that's the difficulty, is by giving them, them the keys to Pandora's box and opening up the ability for a future anti-gun president to just completely do whatever the heck they want and have the keys to the ship, so to speak. That is the difficulty. It establishes a very nasty precedence for moving forward. And, you know, the NRA probably more than likely gave him guidance on bump stocks and told him that, you know, hey, this is the low-hanging fruit or whatever. You know, obviously they pushed him on red flag laws. So when you look at all of the public statements that the NRA made in relation to bump stocks, in relation to uh, red flag laws, in relation to this and that, Trump followed in suit. He acted upon the things that they wanted the most or the things that they were the most publicly visible about. Okay. Right. And I think that one of the big issues with uh, how all of that happens is when you get an executive order from the president and it goes to uh, an organization like the ATF, a lot of those uh, are uh, subjective. So there's no written... Or I guess exact, there's no exact written way to carry that out. It says, this is what the order is. Interpret this how you want and carry it out how you wish, which is exactly why the ATF has the bad rap that it has because they go in and they don't really know what they're doing. They, re- they interpret it one way. It gets, you know, they play the game of telephone. It goes from the top down. Uh, you need to do this, confiscate this. Uh, these are now illegal. Well, what makes it illegal? We don't know. Uh, we just know that this has been categorized as illegal, so now they're they're banned, and now everybody that has it is a felon. So how do you uh, how do you confiscate these? Well, I don't know. Let's go shoot dogs and kick in doors, and we just take them by force. Um, so, <laughs> and a great example of that is when you see all of these the ATF having to backpedal on a lot of the stuff like um, like the AA12. Is it a firearm? Is it a SBS? The origin. I know they had some issues. So there, there's no way for them to interpret this correctly. So they'll say it's legal, and now you have these manufacturers selling these legal firearms, and then now, they're like, no, 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 we got it wrong. We, as a government organization, got it wrong. How about that? Um, now you guys have to send everything back, and they have to either give refunds or give credits or modify these to now meet their current legal requirements, which they don't even know if it's going to be legal in the next six months because it's not documented. It's all subjective. Right. So that's where the real problem lies with that process. Just that that part of the process is that it's not written in stone. It's, right. it's up to interpretation of when the next leadership comes in, how are they going to interpret that? Are they going to just do whatever they want? Okay. Here's a good example. All right. So not only do you have the situation that Matt is talking about, but we can take it a step further, all right? There's still a lot of Obama-era appointees at the ATF, Yeah. okay? 
both in leadership and in, you know, enforcement, what have you, right? All of these different things, compliance, enforcement, and there's still plenty of Obama-era appointees, appointees at the ATF. Well, one of Trump's big things was, oh, well, the Obama administration's ATF were the ones that approved bump stocks in the first place. That was his whole, one of his whole reasonings for banning bump stocks is, oh, well, mm -hmm. it was the, he blamed it. He passed the buck onto the Obama, Obama administration, but yet the people calling the shots at the ATF are still there. So the why people. not, you know what I mean? Like if, if you care about the ATF making decisions that are more in line with your reported pro-gun stance, well, then wouldn't you put pro-gun ATF agents in there that, or at least that are neutral to the point that they understand it in a way that if it meets a definition or it doesn't, or that they're writing, or you know what I mean, like coming up with good rulings, and, and ruling is the bad, a bad word for it, because they, they, are, they don't make laws. Right. Right, that's the thing. So now, you know, we have all these Obama-era appointees. Well, during the Obama administration, the common thread that gets passed around is, okay, well— uh, Obama did not pass X, Y, Z in terms of gun control. We have more gun, gun control now under Trump than we had under Obama. Well, a lot of Obama's actions um, that were passed were, were executive actions, not executive orders. And from my understanding, they're two very different things. An action is more of a, hey, this is how I feel. This is what I'd like you to do, if you feel like it. It doesn't really have the same weight as actually signing a real executive order. Executive order is, is, a, is definitely a form of executive fiat. And lots of presidents in the past have used executive orders uh, to circumvent, mm -hmm. okay, uh, you know, the, the system, the right. checks and balances. Yeah, legislative and process. O Obama did, during his presidency, sign a lot of executive orders. Now, one piece of anti-gun... Um, dealings that we have to deal with from the Obama administration is the ban on 7 and 6 ammunition. Now, that may not affect as many people, at least in their eyes, and that's why they went uh, went for that as a low-hanging fruit. So I don't know if you guys remember, both listening and watching, but during the Obama administration, um, you know, there was a ban on 7 and 6 ammunition, 545 by 39 uh, millimeter steel core uh, ammunition was mm -hmm. banned from import. That was a low-hanging fruit for them uh, because, and let's just be fair here, that the, there is a disproportionate number of people that own AR-15s and shoot AR-15s to people that own AK-47s to begin with, right. right? But then when you compare the amount of AK owners that shoot 762 by 39 to ones that shoot 545, that was a low-hanging fruit for the Obama administration because they knew, or maybe they were told or someone gave them the data, that there's far less people that shoot 545 over 762 by 39. So, hey, we'll go after 7 and 6 because it's a low-hanging fruit. Maybe people won't get up in arms enough. They won't complain enough. And then, therefore, we can get this as, as, a, as a win. You right. Know, a, a, right. A, 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 one of the 1,000 paper cuts that they're looking for to kill gun owners. Well, they had to check that box, and that was, that right. was the one they had to now check. Now, remember, at one point, the Obama administration was also talking about banning M855 ammunition with the green tip. All right, and what happened there? People got pissed. Nope. All right, and we were one of the groups of people that, you know, we made a video about it where we, uh, you guys may remember we were standing in front of the Alamo in Texas, and we were talking about, hey, how would you defend your Alamo without M855? I mean, AR-15 is America's rifle. Well, where's America's ammunition? That was our argument. What happened? The, uh, the ban on M855 went away. They decided not to do it. And then talks started spreading of bills uh, that they wanted to pass to prevent the federal government from banning things like that in the future. Dare I say, even reversing the ban on seven in six ammunition in the future. Uh, I don't have the the documents right in front of me, but it was a um, representative out of Florida uh, that put in a bill ten sixteen. I, I I don't remember the exact number. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, I'll put the information in the description box below. Um, but they did introduce a bill to limit the federal government's ability to ban the importation of certain types of ammunition, yeah, good, de deeming it them. as being yeah. unconstitutional. Yeah, good for them. That's, I mean, that that overreach needs to stop. And I'm glad they started it back then because that right. it definitely helps out now because you have something to lean back on and say, "Hey, we did it then, so right. we can do it now." 
Now, to be fair, now during the Obama administration, we had Sandy Hook, and there was also in a very similar uh, series of events as to what happens in the Trump administration. There was this tragedy, and people, these politicians get put under a ton of pressure to do something, right? And Obama was the same way. Now, he proposed everything under the sun. He, he supported this, supported that. Yes, supported this idea, that idea, this type of legislation. I mean, that's well documented. It's out there. We don't have to talk about it here. Right. But his ability to act on it was nothing more than just puff. Puffin, what do they call it? Puffin providence, or what, what do they call that? I have no <laughs> Circumstance. Idea. Yeah. You know, a whole bunch of a bunch of puff, right? They weren't able to make anything happen because they just didn't have the support. Okay. So fast forward to the Trump administration and the action on bump stocks. All right, well, we have this. All right, so substitute Sandy Hook for another tragedy. All right, substitute it for this shooting in Vegas. Right. All right, now you've got this this catalyst here where you can either do something or not do something. All right, what happened? We got bump stocks banned through executive fiat. So <laughs> yeah. And then you have, um, again, that, that open interpretation on – you know, what is a bump stock? Or for a while there, when it first happened, nobody really knew what constituted the different designs because there was more than one. So which ones are legal? Which ones are illegal? Which one makes you a felon? What happens if you don't turn it in? Are you are you a felon now because you have one in your safe? Because I guarantee you, probably 80% of those, nobody was just walking up and handing those in. So we have a very large number of felons, apparently, uh, within the United States just for having those. Um but if you go back to Trump, is Trump as two-way as everybody thinks he is, or if you think he's two-way at all, I think this is what happens when you get someone that comes from the business world. And when you're in the business world, when you're leading companies and you're, and I'm not talking like small mom and pop businesses, I'm talking about when you're running major corporations and you have thousands of employees, you cannot be uh, the master of all. So you all good leadership surround themselves with who they think um, is the best in their field, which is exactly what he's doing as a president. No experience in politics. He surrounds himself with people that he thinks can fill those roles. And unfortunately, when you are at the top and you surround yourself and you're in an ivory tower, let's not make any, uh, you know, assumptions. He's in an ivory tower. He's always been in in the ivory tower the people he surrounded himself with also live in ivory, ivory towers. However, they uh, grandstand themselves as being of the people. So in his mind, his leadership team are very connected to their constituents. Unfortunately, they're not. So he's taking what they say as gospel. That's what's good for the people. These And who he has in, in positions of power have absolutely no idea what's good and what's bad. So he's making these decisions based off of business acumen, which really doesn't apply in this situation. And he's executing these orders based off of the information he's given by his leadership team, which is bad information. And this is how we get to the position that we're in now, where you have ultimately bad decisions being made um, from people that he thought he could trust. And I'm telling you, you cannot trust them because they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. You know, that's a great point that you brought up there, Matt. You know, like Henry Ford, uh, I believe it was Henry Ford that said, hey, I may not be the smartest guy in the world, but I'll hire the smartest people. Right, which right? is usually done. And which is usually done, right? So just because someone is the head of this giant company, they own a big company, they employ a lot of people, they may not always have all the answers, but they hire people that do. And I can understand that. Uh, you know, Trump can certainly defer certain issues to teams of people that he may select or certain people within his presidential cabinet that he can say, hey, what's your opinion on X, Y, Z, right? I mean, right. we see that with the dealing of COVID, you know, which we're not going to go there, but it's the same type of thing, right? You know, if you're not expert in subject matter A, well, then you hire an expert or whatever, and then they, they give you recommendations on what you should or shouldn't do, and then you take that into account and you make your decision. Completely understandable. Uh, I think one of the big issues here, too, is that I believe that Trump has put a little bit too much faith in the NRA and what they have to say. Absolutely. And I think that the NRA—well, the NRA, I don't think. I know. The NRA <laughs> has had their hand 
in every piece of anti-gun legislation for over the last hundred years. Uh, so it's well documented. It's out there. I mean, they supported, you know, uh, the stuff back in 68. They supported the 94 Crimeville. Uh, I mean, gosh, there's so many things. I, I, it would take us hours to really go through and dig. But uh, we'll put some links in the description box below where you guys can research it on your own. Uh, there are tons of, if you're listening on YouTube, uh, <laughs> if you're on the podcast, you, you'll have to go research it on your own. But We might be able to put it in the show notes. Possibly. Well, yeah. um, but there are tons of instances where the NRA has supported anti-gun legislation and in many cases helped draft anti-gun legislation. So it's like you have to think about what the o- overall motive is, right? Uh, so the big question is, okay, is Trump anti-gun? Well, not necessarily, because the reason I'll say that is because just because someone is given bad information, bad guidance, bad advice related to a certain topic, right, and because they act on that bad advice without knowing better or, or doing the research on their own doesn't make them a bad person or make them anti-gun. It just makes them ill-informed. So I would say at, at worst— one could assume that maybe his stance on the Second Amendment isn't strong enough that he cares to look into it enough or that he cares to know enough about it to make an informed decision. It would be like someone asking us about how do you feel about X, Y, Z related to the gun world? Well, we would know because we're in the gun world. We deal with it all the time, and obviously we're extremely pro-gun. So anything that could be taken even the tiny bit off we're obviously not going to agree with it. So one could assume either that would be the situation, or two, he just is looking at it from the position of, oh, well, the NRA endorses me, so the NRA told me it's okay to ban bump stocks. The NRA told me it's okay to support red flag uh, gun confiscation orders at a federal level. And the NRA uh, you know, wanted me to call up people like Dan Crimshaw or whoever else and say, yeah, good job on pursuing those red flag uh, confiscation orders, right? One could assume that because of that NRA endorsement, that he would just look at them as being the gospel on what the the status is of the of the two A, right? Right. To 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 his mind, right. And one could assume that the optics of that situation, when you go, oh well, the NRA's the biggest, you know, pro gun lobby group, or blah blah blah, whatever. Or if you're told that by a bunch of staffers, or if you're told that by a group of people that are close to you. Well, of course, you're going to you know, take that into account and go, well, if I've got their endorsement, well, then I must be good. That means I'm okay with the 2A crowd. Hey, put the check in the that's box. That's exactly good. what's happening. But that, that's the issue is he thinks he's good. He thinks he's skating by good with the 2A community. But I want to acknowledge something else that I feel uh, really beckons to this particular podcast as well, is you look at the first couple of years of Trump's presidency, we had complete control of the ship. We had control of the House, the Senate. We had not like a super majority, but we had a red a red enough majority to where we could have gotten quite a bit passed if oh, we absolutely. wanted to. And we made multiple uh, gun gripe episodes, okay, over on uh, on our YouTube channel, and 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 everything where we talk about you know why are we not picking from pro gun legislation like ordering off Taco Bell menu? Why why didn't we get national carry reciprocity? Why didn't we get the Hearing Protection Act, which was uh, a bill that would remove suppressors from the NFA? We know we're not going to kick the NFA in the balls overnight. We know that. Okay. But, you know, just like the the left and the antis, I'm just going to say the antis, just like the anti-gunners try to give us death by a thousand paper cuts, okay, getting it back is the same way. We can't just say, wipe the NFA off the table, but we can start with suppressors. Then we can go to short-barreled rifles, short-barreled shotguns, and eventually maybe even machine guns. But getting it one little piece at a time would have been a real big win for Trump. We could have, you know, stonerolled all of that through and made it happen. We had weak leadership on the Republicans' part. They caved in to the pressure, both from the left and from the antis, and they decided not to have any of those bills go through because they caved into the pressure because of political events that were happening. The, the money in the is country. good. The money is good. And when I. S- when you were uh, explaining about the NRA and the legislation, how they had their hand in every piece of anti-gun legislation for the last hundred years, it was uh, very re- reminiscent of um, how government contracting works, and not government contracting in the in the way that you would think that you're going overseas and doing government contracting work, but on the uh, on the opposite side of procurement. So, if you work for Company A and you sell 
and you sell or you manufacture widgets and you want to sell these widgets to the government, the federal government, uh, you have what, and I, I know this because I used to be in government contracting. So I've won quite a few multi-million dollar contracts based off of this model. Um, you write uh, the RFP. RFP is request for proposal. So if you want to sell widget A to the federal government, you write a proposal, an official proposal to this organization, whatever uh, organization it is, whether it's the VA, each one of them are, have their own individual procurement offices. And you say, hey, this is a great widget and this is what it's going to do for you. This is what it does. This is how much it'll save you. So you're writing this, this long proposal about why they want to buy your widget. You send that to them and then they say, great. There's 15 other companies that do something similar. Why do we want to buy your widget? Well, now you do an RFQ, a request for, or they do put out an RFQ, a request for quote, and then you actually have to fill out all of the stuff. But since you wrote the RFP, you wrote the request for proposal, you know the exact details and specifications that need to be met to win this contract. So it's very similar to how the NRA they wrote, they, there's no way around it. They helped to write this legislation. They know the ins and outs of this legislation. Therefore, when they present it to Congress or the president, they know exactly what's going on. They, they're in the pockets and that's how all this stuff happens is because it's, since they wrote the proposal, um, they're going to get it. They're, they're going to get the business. There's a double-edged sword. Okay. Also, the other end of what Matt is talking about is the other end of that is that they know that a lot of the things that get proposed won't pass as well. Right. All right, so like let's say the anti-gunner side of the situation, they're going to, oh, we got the worst assault weapons ban in history and, and Feinstein's assault weapons ban and oh, Pelosi's at it again. And don't get me wrong, like that's very real. Like these people are hell bent on destroying our rights on a regular basis. And it's important uh, to bring attention to that. And no one's going to refute the fact that that's not an important thing to, to get at. But I believe that they are equally at fault and equally culpable um, you know, for proposing pro-gun things that they know won't go anywhere as they are uh, damning uh, anti-gun things that they know won't go anywhere. They want lame duck politics. They yep. don't want pro-gun legislation to advance just as much as they don't want, uh, you know, anti-gun legislation to go forward. Because if anti-gun legislation goes forward, well, all of a sudden, oh, we're not we're not doing our job. We're, 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 we're losing to the antis. But see, they work themselves out of a job. If you, exactly. if you do too much and you get uh, pro-gun legislation after pro-gun legislation, you know, push through and, and you're winning left and right. And yeah, that's great. That's ultimately what we all want in the 2A community is for these great things to happen in terms of pro-gun legislation. But from the lobbyist standpoint, which the NRA is a lobbying group, uh, they don't want to go too far too fast because then they work themselves out of a job. So they are in the business of balancing fear, not tipping the scales in favor of people that want, obviously, that have been disenfranchised and want the, the, the scale to tip in their favor, just like all of us want it to, right? There's an entire group of Americans that, as we stand right here, live in this country in the way that... You know, they will never know what it's like to be able to go into a gun shop and just buy a machine gun like it's a normal thing, right? An entire group of Americans have been dis disenfranchised. However, okay, that young person that, w that wasn't alive back when you could do that, like myself, like Matt, uh, yeah, sure, if we have twenty-five, dollars dollars $50,000, we can go buy a machine gun from a collector that has one and it's transferable and it's no big deal. Oh, yeah, but no big deal. You just got to come up with, you know, $35,000. No and, big deal. And so wait a year. One could say, yeah, and then wait a long time. So one could say that there's a, you know, that's a dis disenfranchisement of gun owners out there who ha essentially have not been given um, the same girth as people that came before us in regards to certain things within the 2A community. So wait a minute. The guy that was my age back in 1980. So is he does he does he have mega two A rights just because he was born before me, or oh well you weren't here soon enough sorry you missed the train no that's not how it works machine guns are either legal or they aren't machine guns are just highly regulated 
All right. Right. So the thing is, it's it's regulatory headache that has created all of these situations. It was the Hughes Amendment in the first place that even uh, tried to make or required companies to come up with some form of a minor workaround by creating bump stocks in the first place. Yep. The reason that braces exist, the reason that bump stocks exist, all of these little strange workarounds and loopholes only exist because the Hughes Amendment was there to begin with, and that was one of the things that the NRA supported was the Hughes Amendment. So yeah. you, it's cause and effect, all of it. It all trickles downhill, right? So to say, is, all right, again, is Trump anti-gun? I don't think he's anti-gun as much as people might, you know, want to foam at the mouth and say he is. I think he's misinformed. He's he's listening to the wrong people. I, I agree. I think that he's severely misinformed. I don't think he's anti-gun, uh, although he does hail from New York. Uh, so that's really all he knows. He has a personal protect. He's probably had a personal protective team around him for the every day. Uh, that's just the way that he rolls. Um I think that he, I don't want to say the word pandering, uh, although I do think that he leans heavily on whatever is going to get him the most votes. And unfortunately, right now, in the current state of affairs and the social climate, that is going to be the opposite of the Second Amendment. And I really, really hope that he can remove himself from himself um, and do the right thing. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. You know, it's a really scary time right now in politics and in the 2A community because, you know, we were one Supreme Court justice away from being in a really, really bad situation in terms of the Second Amendment. You know, if we would have gotten a couple of really bad Supreme Court justices in this last time around, uh, it could turn into some scary things. But, all right, let's look at that. Let's look at the Supreme Court. Okay, so a lot of people view Trump's Supreme Court uh, picks as being middle of the line, if not somewhat freedom leaning people, right? And uh and it's and it's generally accepted that that his Supreme Court picks pretty solid. Okay. One one could one could make that argument, okay? All right, hurrah. That's great. All right. How many Second Amendment related cases have actually gone to the Supreme Court to be heard. Now, these are cases that that people have made a really big deal about, right? We'll we'll put a link in the description box below that gives you a couple of these proposed cases. But the short end of this, and but without going into a ton of detail, I'll just say that all the Second Amendment cases that have gone to the Supreme Court have been passed back down to lower courts, right. and the Supreme Court won't hear it because it's politically sensitive. Correct. And they're refusing to hear any further uh, cases, I think, for the rest of the year. Right. But in the same week, though, they push forward a LGBT related case. All right. Now, look, I'll I'll just quickly I'll quickly mention this. We are one of the only gun channels on YouTube that openly supports the LGBT community. Okay, I don't believe in patronizing people and tearing people apart. I believe in unity. I want people to get together and understand that the Second Amendment is bigger than one person, one group of people. Breaking off into tribes is the wrong answer. What we've always pushed for, we don't want everybody to break off into tribes. You do you. I do me. Look, you you live a certain lifestyle. You live your lifestyle. We're okay with that. You just do your thing. You do you. I do me. We support the LGBT community because they have actually become a pretty decent subset of gun owners, right? Absolutely. In the last couple of years, some of the largest groups— have been females and have been the LGBT community. And then here, just within the last like three months or so, we've seen a huge surge in gun sales across the United States. And I don't have the data in front of me, but the theory is that a heck of a lot of those people are folks more left-leaning or maybe more anti-gun leaning that might not have saw the value of gun ownership before, but now they're starting to get you know kind of woke to that a bit. And the theory is that the 2A is becoming more and more Im- important to all sides of the political stratum uh, than it was in previous years. So we've never had a more strongly unified uh, 2A community than now in terms of the diversity of people who are arming themselves. And that's worth mentioning. So, okay, so the Supreme Court heard an LGBT-related case, but then denied all 2A cases. I hate that they didn't hear the 2A cases. Of course I hate that. But at least, you know, that community got something done, which, you know, you got to hand it to them. At least 
pressuring them to make something happen. At least they got something done for them. Well, I, I, I kind of, and I threw my hands up in the air because I find it interesting that the law, the Supreme Court, as as an organization, I'm going to call them an organization, um, <laughs> because at that point, what they're doing is they're picking and choosing which laws and which cases they want to hear. And that, I don't think that that should necessarily be the case. I think that it... They should have to hear it. They should have to. Um, I can't go to my court and if they say, hey, Matt, uh, you're due in court uh, for speeding. You know what? I'm going to choose that I don't want to hear this case at this moment, but let me circle yeah, back Yeah, we're going to let you. the cop that, yeah, that pulled you over decide. You. Let me circle <laughs> back with you in, in about a year when I'm ready and the social climate has changed and I feel like I should come in and hear this case. I'll still pay my fine when, when I hear it. But until then, we're good. It doesn't work that way. Right. Um, and especially with things, and usually when you're going to the Supreme Court, they're uh, federal cases. They're, they're big cases. Um, and they, sh- they, sh- they should be a first in, first out policy. I mean, if you're going to put in a, a case in a docket and you want to be heard, at least give them the uh, privilege and the respect to hear it hear what they have to say, and then choose to, to you know, have it uh, retried or even come back for an actual court date uh, when it's time. Mm-hmm. But don't just flat out make a blanket statement to say, you know what, because of the social climate, we're going to choose not to hear anything about this specific subject. Which you know, if to be if a grievance gets to the point where it is so weighed in someone's mind and heart and, and thought process that it makes it to the Supreme Court, that it even gets makes it that far. Why wouldn't they want to hear it? And my thing is, okay, how do they know that the 2A case that they're potentially choosing to hear or not to hear is as politically dirty to them as they think it is unless they – it's not like they didn't know what the case was that they were going to hear. Right. They, they don't just go, oh, that's 2A related, bye. No, they look through. Because they, I guarantee you, they're not going to make the decision whether or not to hear the case based on nothing more than just the the baseline idea of what it's related to. Correct. Okay, so by proxy, they have heard the case. They know. They have an opinion. They just won't share their opinion and what that comes down to. And I don't want to get into a ton of detail on this because I don't know if we have time for it. But you guys might remember the guy in, I believe he, I want to say he was in California, but the whole situation where... The feds agreed not to prosecute the guy that was that was making the ARs in his basement. All right, hmm. that whole thing. He didn't have a manufacturing license, and what he would do is he would indicate the part in the machine, and the customer would hit the button on the machine. Well, the oh, customer boy. made the gun, not him. So he wasn't manufacturing a firearm technically, and that goes into the whole um, rigmarole of you know what part on the AR-15 is actually a gun and what isn't. Right, and we're not going to get there. We're not going to go there. Okay, but. It's worth mentioning that the case got dropped. They chose not to prosecute him. Basically, they made a deal. And the reason they made the deal is because they knew that if it went to court and that they established case law uh, related to, you know, obviously, then you would have case case law in yes. place where someone could go back and, and see what happened with the outcome of this case. And, and in my mind, that's what case law is, right? Case law is where you go, all right, here are similar lawsuits to my lawsuit. Here's how they... Here's how they resolved, and this gives us a bit of a of food to, or basically ammunition to load in our legal gun right. to shoot at the situation, right? So that 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 they can basically see where past um, cases have resolved in a very similar manner. Right. So they didn't want case law coming out of this particular situation. If you think about it, it's dirty because they knew they were in the wrong to prosecute him in the first place, and they knew after seeing all of the evidence and everything that they were going to lose. So when they know they're going to lose, they don't hear the case. They make a deal. So in my mind, when the Supreme Court says, we're not going to hear this, well, the Supreme Court carries the heaviest weight in terms of case law, like having that in place, right? So of course, <laughs> of course, the Supreme Court doesn't want to hear a 2A case because if they have use even halfway amount of integrity and they have to side with the, with the people on 2A, then it establishes all of these you know, like like Heller versus DC or mm-hmm. DC versus Heller, 
right? Dick Heller. They set the precedence on it. Right. So, see, they don't want to establish that precedence that then gives case law, uh, you know, have all this case law in place that allows them to kind of go, okay, well, this is what happened here, 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 and here. Well, guess what? You can't do this. So, it's a scary set of circumstances, but to circle back to Trump, okay, all right, so say that the general consensus is that people say, all right, well, Trump's Supreme Court picks were good picks. Well, if we're talking about 2A here and they refuse to hear 2A cases, why does that matter at all? Who cares? Because they won't hear the case anyway. Well, that goes to being Supreme Court judges being a perpetuous position. Uh, The the only way they get out is if they choose. Um, That's not an elected position. They don't have to uh, fight for votes or anything like that. A very political position. Right. So when it comes down to it, um, they serve in perpetuity until they either die or they resign. Um, So they, they have no, uh, they have no reason to, pander. Uh, so if they feel like they don't want to set a precedence, they've already, they've, they're already been placed there by the president. So they already lean a certain way. Now, traditionally when a new president comes in, they will go through and they're either adding their own Supreme court picks to help get, to help garner their support for their, uh, for their, side if you want to say i hate saying that whether it's one side or the other side but they do um and they go through and they want to make sure that the supreme court justices that they have in place are going to back their legislation and they're not they're playing the game they're not going to hear certain cases especially with november coming up um they don't want to put anything in place that's going to hinder uh their election process or their ability to get reelected so Unfortunately, the Supreme Court does act in a, a way that always is not advantageous to certain organizations or certain causes. Unfortunately, well, right now it's the Second Amendment. Well, yeah, and I think another important aspect, I'm going to circle back to what the, the, I guess, sort of argument that we were proposing about whether or not Trump would be anti-gun based on this type of situation. Well, here's the thing. So... What if what you're being told is pro-gun isn't as pro-gun as you're being told it is? Okay, so, I mean, if the NRA supports red flag laws, if they support, um, you know, obviously the bump stock ban and no telling what else, right? Uh, I know that there was some stuff floating around where they were um, supporting stricter background checks and things like that and expanding the NIC system. That's another thing I forgot about. So that's strike three, man. You know, that's a lot of dirt that's just lining up. So if your only view of what pro two, being pro-2A is, is what the NRA is telling you, well, then you're setting up for failure. So I think at, um, at best, Trump is on probation with the gun owners of this country, right? He's got to undo some wrongs in order to even get back to the normal level that he was before. So I would say at best, he's on a bit of a probation. At worst, some could assume that possibly he had a general disposition against the Second Amendment. Coming into the presidency, I mean, it is quite known that he is a New York Democrat, uh, you know, what has always traditionally been a Democrat. A lot of people call Trump a rhino. So I think it's fair to mention that he does have a reputation for being a rhino. I will say this, though. I feel that Trump loves this country and... I'm a very good judge of character, and I'm and I are you now? I, I am. Well, I'm friends with you. I don't he know is, if that says he much. He is. He is. But I'm a pretty good judge of character, and when you look at body language, you look at the way people look when they talk, their conviction. You know, I do get the feeling that Trump does love this country and does try to do what is best for America. He puts America first, and I strongly, I in my heart, I believe that. That's not a political talking point. That's just. My reaction to Trump, you know, like the way he acts. So is that to say that maybe after these, you know, years that he's been president, has he had a change of heart? You know, this whole thing that gets thrown around, this mud that gets slung at him as being a rhino. Okay, sure. People can change. People can have a change of heart. I mean, has he had a change of heart since he's been on the inside for a while and seen how things go. And also because he's seen all the hypocrisy and all of the snakes in the swamp, right? You know, that was one of his big things is draining the swamp from day one. So 
maybe Trump just, uh, you know, as he's gotten older and, and maybe just as he's gotten into politics, perhaps he's just had a change of heart, you know, and, and maybe he sees the corruption and the horrible scab that has to just be torn off, right? Maybe he sees that that scab needs to be torn off. And maybe it's not that he's anti-gun, but that he's been given the wrong information about what gun owners really want, and he's not listening to the right people. Right. Okay? (laughs) I mean, let's be truthful here, right? I mean, we've called the NRA out on all their crap for years. Tim Harmson has at Military Arms Channel. Uh, Mike at Mr. Guns and Gears called him out on all their crap. Many of us have called them out continuously on their years of support of anti-gun legislation, okay? And I'm just afraid that the president is being given bad intel related to what the 2A community really wants. I mean, the NRA is comprised of 70-year-olds with double-barrel shotguns. They have a 70-plus member board that gets nothing done. It is purposely set up for failure. It is set up for lame duck inactivity, right? It is set, there's no attendance requirements. So someone can be on the board of directors and not show up for, for nine months and, you know, could walk in with a, with a strawberry daiquiri and a Hawaiian t-shirt on and kick his feet up on the desk and go, well, what's been going on? Well, I don't even care. I'm on the payroll. It, there's no accountability for attendance. And it, it's just a giant, Cesspool. Ponzi scheme. <laughs> you said and, Ponzi scheme. And, and I say why cesspool. would you want, uh, you know, that being the determining factor of what bends the ear of your president on the Second Amendment? That, I think, is one of the big cruxes of this entire podcast. Absolutely. Uh, and I would even go on to say that you should probably support uh, at least, I think, two other organizations, which would be either GOA uh, and not and or, but and uh, FPC. I think both of those organizations do great work. Um, They are at the forefront, uh, especially FPC, of being proactive uh, whenever they see something come out that um, uh, is unconstitutional. They are probably one of the first organizations to actively, um, I don't want to say the word sue uh, because it sounds so litigious, but they actively combat uh, those those unconstitutional laws. And uh, GOA does a great job um, of filling that void. I think they're very quickly uh, gaining steam and speed um, with NRA members that are deciding that they just had enough and they want to put their money towards an organization that's actually going to be more effective. Yeah. I mean, and it's a really weird situation overall, but I I agree. I mean, you know, GOA, Eric Pratt, Jordan, you guys, if you're listening, you know, we support you. We've had Eric on Gun Gripes a couple of times. Great guy, very well-spoken, great on camera, and he's a great person to put up at the podium and argue with the antis. Uh, He's great at that, okay? And and then, of course, uh, the guys over at FPC, great guys. Both these organizations are putting their money where their mouth is. You know, they are actually you know, suing the crap out of these people. They're, they're, they're bringing about lawsuits. They're taking people to court. They are throwing around the legal weight right. uh, that needs to be thrown around to fight these things. And I'll just mention this, like whether you support the NRA or G- GOA or FPC, or maybe your local uh, group, like here in Georgia, we've got Georgia Carey. Yeah. Don't you forget know. those guys. They're yeah. Very so important. If, if you join a local uh, pro-gun group, even if it's just a state-level group, uh, that's fine. No matter who you support, uh, just keep in the back of your mind that this organizational effort when it comes to fighting against uh, anti-gun legislation, it starts with you. It is ultimately a grassroots-level effort that we all have to take a personal um, you know, responsibility in, in taking on, right? Uh, the GOA can put out a, 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 a bulletin post that says, warning, this is happening. You should do something. Well, guess what? You still have to do something. Now, they can warn you. They can tell you it's going on. They can even give you a pre-typed letter that you can simply sign and send in. Uh, you know, they can do part of the work for you. But at the end of the day, you have to take a personal, uh, you have to be personally vested uh, in caring about the Second Amendment and actually fighting this anti-gun legislation, right? So it's still very much an extremely grassroots thing. You know, early on when all of these accusations and bad things were coming out about what the NRA was doing and wasn't doing, um, it was all speculation there for a while. And then as documents start to surface, you know, payroll stubs and receipts and expense accounts and all these things start to surface, then you start to see, you know, yeah, there's a lot of waste and corruption. And then when you look at the visibility of um, electing board members, okay, 
and how messed up that situation was. Remember uh, annual meeting and we were all like pumping Adam Kraut, like we're going to get Adam Kraut in, we're going to get Adam Kraut in. And we just knew it, man. Every single person that you walk by in the NRA annual meeting had an Adam Kraut button on there. I mean, we had it in the bag. We knew Adam Kraut was going to get on the board. Now, it was more of a, I guess for us, it was more of a sort of political, I guess you would call it a political move more than anything else. Because with a board of directors that is comprised of over 70 members, and there's like 76 members on the board. Okay, getting one board uh, seat, one change, board seat yeah, yeah. is that really going to make a difference, right? The issue is the board is so large, it's designed to fail. It's designed to be inefficient. They don't want the ship to move quickly and react to something terrible. It's a really, really weird situation. The organization is so big, and they have this sort of ability to go, I'm the biggest, I'm the best, I'm the craziest, and they have the numbers to throw around, and they have the money to throw around. And I guess that's just the scary thing about it. I mean, I've got varying opinions on how I feel about lobbying in general. You know, um, there are some places in the world, now it's not the United States, of course, but there are places in the world where lobbying is actually not even legal at all in terms of, you know, how the government deals with that sort of thing. So right. it's um, it's weird. I mean, the lobbyists have a heck of a lot of power in terms of, and it's not just, not just gun-related things, okay? You look at everything from the tobacco industry, big tech, um, big pharma, uh, the gun industry doesn't matter. Every industry has their lobbyists that go to Washington, and uh, well, we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna speculate, but they certainly pad some pockets. Okay, oh, absolutely. and that's not what lobbying is supposed to be, but that's what lobbying is, and that's what it has to be now. I mean, I've I've seen uh, stories, and I have read about it that if you want to get something done, even at the state level, guys, this is how convoluted it's become that you can't even at the state level here in Georgia, if I want, if I walked in uh, to the uh, state representative's office or the state legislative office, and I said, here's a proposal for a bill an SB, I want to, I want to affect change in my home state. Like, Oh, go see a so-and-so and they'll hook you up with the lobbyist group. That'll get the right people in here um, to get it done. And I mean, it's you have. It's almost like you have to go through the lobbyist group because they're the buddies of the people that can get you into the office. Right. But the issue becomes, though, what happens when that lobbying effort is is sort of a lame duck lobbying effort. Mm-hmm. That's that's where the real issue is, and I think that's where a lot of people have an issue. Is like, okay, so all these members are padding the pockets of the NRA constantly here and there, here and there. I mean, it's all this money that's going into ILA and all this stuff. And then they're padding the pockets of the politicians and all this crap that's going on. But where's the benefit from it? Where are the good things happening, right? Right. It's almost like, all right, what is that buying us? Okay, the million dollars that they donated to Trump's campaign or whatever it was to to endorse Trump. What did that buy us? Bump stocks. Bump stocks being banned. And then what? Visible support for red flag laws. Trump going on record saying, I hate silencers. What kind of crap is that? He's probably never even seen one. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Now I want to before we before we, you know, end today's podcast and YouTube video, if you're watching, thank you for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed today's presentation. I mean, we're going all over in a lot of different directions, but that's kind of how we, we tend to do. I just want to mention, I will say this. Trump Jr., okay, Donald Trump Jr. You know, I follow him on all the socials and stuff, and I, I view him as being a real red-blooded guy. Like, he's pro-gun. I mean, he he shows pictures of them with rifles. He's got suppressors on his guns. Mm-hmm. He's out fishing, hunting, shooting, doing cool things with his kids, taking, spending time with his kids, going out and going on fun adventures. And me, to me, it's like, I think that Trump Jr. has a really, really big part in this entire thing to play more than he thinks he does. Because at the end of the day, there's still a family, right? And you know dang well that Trump Jr. can go, Dad, quit. You know, you're, <laughs> trust right. me, this isn't what people want. I mean, so I think that we're going to have to rely on Trump Jr. a lot more than you might think to kind of go to Dad and say, hey, you know, I think you might be wrong about this. And that that's all I would implore uh, them collectively as a group of people to do is just to try to understand where we're coming from. I'd like to think that we represent a heck of a lot of gun owners. I mean, we're at... 2.4 million subscribers on YouTube and growing. We have 830,000 people on Facebook. I mean, we've got a pretty large following overall. 
Over 3 million, it's safe to say. Right. I mean, so there's a lot of people that, you know, definitely tune into what we do. And I'd like to think that we have the ear of the, the people in terms of 2A. So I would only implore the Trump administration to look a little bit harder at what the 2A really is to our country and what they've done, uh, what Trump has done to harm the Second Amendment communities, not only our liberty that, you know, oh, you're going to make someone a felon overnight that owns a bump stock, but two, you know, understand the ramifications of the people you're hurting. People like my friend Judd at Fostec, who now have a, a huge portion of their business and tons of employees that had to let go because yep. they couldn't sell bump stocks anymore. And then turn around and treat them like crap over the SBV. I yep. mean, Fostec's had a rough go. It's rough, man. Yeah. They treated Judd and his family like crap. And this is real. This affects real people. It puts people out, out of a job, puts people out of work. It hurts American industry. American companies, that's It the hurts thing, Americans. Yeah. And, you know, the perceived benefit of what you think banning a bump stock is going to do for your society will never outweigh the real lives of the people that you hurt at companies like Fostec, companies like SB Tactical, companies like Slidefire. All those guys, right, have suffered because of this this poison Trojan horse of a bill. Well, not a bill, but an executive order. Right. So, yeah. And that's you know. the tricky thing about executive orders is that they can just be passed at the swipe of a pen based on an emotion, how they feel at the time. And everybody looks at it like that. And I understand there's additional processes that happen after uh, that executive order is signed. But the weight that it carries from the president endorsing it, saying, hey, I've put my physical signature on this order. It does carry some weight for, um, you know, the whole legislative process to say, well, you know what, maybe, you know, maybe we'll give them this win and we'll get it back somewhere else. Uh, and that, unfortunately, that's how politics is played. If he says, hey, give me this and I'll give you one later. I don't know what it is. Um, it could be a year now. It could be the next term. Maybe this gets me the next term and I'll give you something on the next term. You just never know. And unfortunately, you know, the, the victims here are the American people and the American businesses because all the companies you named happen to be manufacturers that are based here in the U.S. that all had to let people go, uh, Americans that were working hard that didn't have a job after this, and for what? Um, and know, not to mention that Slidefire had 100,000 braces destroyed Yeah, because of this whole thing. They came and they destroyed them. They and confiscated them and destroyed them. That is legally owned. That's property. You're taking someone's property and destroying it. And then uh, just to backtrack on... Uh, with Fostec, they had to they had to uh, you know provide returns and modifications for all of the the shotguns that they sold that were technically firearms at the time. Oh, they have to replace them. Yeah, replace That's the them. The thing that sucks about it, and it costs a lot of money. I'm not even going to put a dollar it's amount on it. Not a cheap gun it, to make, and it's not a cheap gun to. You have to pay for ship. You can't ask that customer to ship it back at their expense. They've already you know been turned into a felon from your product so they're you have to give them the oh my goodness so when you think about it you have to worry about all of that the everything so what's going to happen to that weapon in transport is it going to get lost now you really really have to make sure come up with a missing serial number and see what happens <laughs> you know yeah. so just the chain of custody that has to take place for that and then the cost of having to either replace it or modify it all of that is it's and and the heck with all that. Money. I don't even care about all that. What I care about is hurting good people yeah. who have worked really hard and built a company over a really long period of time, and it's been a rough go. And they've they've really they were really just starting to kick butt really 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 well, and then they just got a kick in the you know what. <laughs> but all right, so I will mention this before we uh, we sign off here. I did see something recently where Trump said that he would be supportive of some form of a national carry bill. But of course, again, just like Obama saying he wanted anti-gun this, anti-gun that, right? It's the same type of thing. If he has no support from the House and the Senate to actually get a real bill passed, right, then all it is is just lip service. So that's the issue. You know, where was he with that lip service back when we had control of the ship? Back when we had we had the ability within the Senate, the House, the presidency, obviously, to get all this pushed through. Where was that lip service then when we begged for it? We asked for it and we, we were civil about it, you know, asking respectively, hey, this is what we want, right? This is what the people want. So 
Trump is on probation with the 2A community. He's really got some work to do uh, to right some wrongs that have been made. And I'm going to give him maybe the slight benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to say that maybe he's just been given bad intel. And judging by the endorsement of the NRA and what the NRA supported over the last hundred years, I'm going to lean towards him being given bad intel as being a pretty large motivating factor for why those things happened in the first place. And I would agree with you. And to, to backtrack or circle back to uh, GOA, they are huge proponents of um, national reciprocity. Uh, and I'll tell you a funny story. I went to go visit uh, my brother-in-law in Wilmington, uh, and I had to drive from Georgia to South Carolina to North Carolina. And South Carolina does not share reciprocity, reciprocity with Georgia. Um, and North Carolina is an open carry state not concealed carry state. I mean, it's just those things. So like while you're going through these states, you have to be cognizant and mindful of these different laws. So of course, in I'm get out of Georgia and South Carolina, you can't carry, you can carry um, in your car. In Georgia, it's considered your home. So you can carry regardless wherever you want. In South Carolina, you cannot, you have to keep it in your uh, glove box or your back out of one hand's reach. In North Carolina, you cannot carry it in your glove box. It's against the law. And, I, and so you're uh, driving through, like, you have to physically go through, like, all right, what can I do here? Yeah, what where do am I have I to felon? do? Where am yeah, I exactly. I mean, so we're making stops. Like, my family, we're like, all right, I got to put it back here. Got to put it over there because I'm not going to roll the dice. I got my daughter. I got my wife. I'm like, I'm not going to get into a run in here, like, going between on a family vacation. So, right. Just that would be a huge win. I mean, I don't understand why it's even an issue, but I mean, it is, and that was just a little, a, a little story that I had to tell about that whole fiasco, and it was, it was well, certainly rough. very thought provoking, and I hope that we laid it out in a way. I mean, the all of the historical aspects of the things that not only that has the NRA has done, but past presidents have done. Uh, I'm going to try to compile some data and share in the description box on the YouTube video and possibly the podcast uh, to give you an idea of the amount of executive orders that have been signed by presidents in the last like 20 years. Uh, we'll take a look at that data mm -hmm. and sort of crunch that data. And also, we need to crunch the data um, on the amount of gun legislation that has been supported by the NRA, which that's out there. But just to be thorough uh, with this video and with this podcast, uh, we want to make sure we provide that data. So I'll try my best to compile that data uh, just so we can get an idea. Uh, it's certainly thought provoking. And people need to understand that the people are the last defense between anti-gunners and their evil legislation that they're trying to push through. Anti-gunners are not your friends. People that want anti-gun legislation, that want to ban every dang type of gun you can imagine, are not your friends. Okay? We, we have to fight this at every turn, and it is up to the people. We have to, as a people, take a vested interest in our sovereignty and safety and our right to bear arms. We have to value it in a way uh, that makes a strong statement to the people that would take our rights away. And that includes, you know, making sure that all of our politicians are held accountable, right? That's the issue. There are so many different representatives out there. You look at from all different sides of the equation. You've got the, the House and the Senate and all of their underlings and all of these people that are sort of a buffer between the people and accessing those people. We have to scream louder. We have to fight harder. And we've got to make sure that these elected representatives know that we will boot them out if these conditions aren't met. We have to, we have to maintain solidarity for the Second Amendment. And, and I am a one-issue voter, and you got to let them know that you are a one-issue voter and that the Second Amendment is a, the one hot-button issue that you will kick them out for. And we have to maintain that solidarity. And with, the, with all the new gun owners that have been created just in the last 90 days over all the stuff going on, all the civil unrest, the COVID stuff, what have you, right? We have to make sure that we take that energy and we take that... Um, that 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 strong push for our our personal safety and we turn it into positive energy that we can now take to the fight in Washington and get some of this anti-gun legislation that's been shoved down our throats all these years reversed and repealed and get back to what the second amendment is supposed to be for all of us agreed and i, I just to wrap it up i do not think Trump is as anti-2As as everybody thinks. I think he's just misinformed, like you said. I agree. I think that's a that's a safe assumption. And, you know, 
I uh, I, I think I'd make that bed and sleep. I'd take that bet. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Uh, guys, I definitely want to take a moment to thank all of you for tuning in. Uh, I know this has been a long one, especially if you're tuning in on YouTube. This is a very long-form episode. I appreciate you sticking around. Thank you. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, and if you're listening in on the podcast, please uh, leave us a nice review. Uh, and we really appreciate it. Have a great day. Go over to Ballistic Inc. and pick yourself up a snazzy T-shirt. Uh, that supports the podcast and our YouTube channel. And we really appreciate all of you who support us on Patreon all of you who purchased man cans, uh, we've got some great man cans for sale. We've changed the uh, model up a little bit, but I know you guys are absolutely going to love the cans that we've got for sale. Really great items, good awesome, high quality awesome items. Yep. Um, you know, from really good manufacturers. You guys are going to love these boxes. So pick one up. All the man cam purchases, t-shirt purchases, Patreon support, all goes right back into putting out this content. So absolutely. thank you so much who are watching for supporting us, and then thank you the listeners. Uh, we're up to quite a few downloads each week. Yeah, its support has been amazing. So yeah, we really, so really appreciate it, guys. Absolutely. Have a great day, and we'll see you guys soon. And this has been Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. We'll see you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.